this listening process, this refuge of wakefulness or buddha, because of that, it's, everything's amplified, because it's noticed. It's, it's, it's more difficult to distract ourselves, especially when we consciously are not distracting ourselves. We're consciously wanting to cultivate the capacity, as one master said, to be realistic, cultivate the capacity to be with the reality of having a human body that's and mind, that's sensitive to pleasure and pain, that thinks, that has streams, karmic streams, bodily formations, this aspect of our experience that's physical. What's called the verbal stream or, or thought is considered kind of sub-verbal speech. Thought is a form of the verbal stream. What we think, that's an aspect of our experience that leads our attention to the past, rockets into the future, gnaws on some grudge from some misty memory, revolves around some anxiety, anxiety about what might happen. All held within a mysterious... uh, aspect of our experience that's sensitive, what's called the heart, citta, sensitive and and vibrates. It it gets excited by what we like, recoils from what we don't like. This this being humans is, there's one way of looking at it, it's quite complex. And so to, to begin to notice all this stuff, is, it can be overwhelming. So as Ajahn Sajito puts it, our dear friend and teacher, Ajahn Sajito, he puts it when we do this, especially in these early parts of the retreat, when suddenly there's all this stuff right in front of us, he says it's like being eyeball to eyeball with our karma. Because there it is. Aching back, there it is. Exhaustion, there it is. Mad monkey mind. There it is, uh, unruly, rebellious thoughts. There it is, this heart quivering, confident, interested, bored. So it is natural, natural to at times think, gosh, what am I doing? to want to run away. And again, as I was saying in the, before this talk, you know, to encourage us to, to tune our efforts, and to take time to rest if we need to rest, because this is, we, we're tuning our efforts. Too much effort, we just get exhausted and collapse. Too little effort, we just stay in a cloud, a dozy cloud. So we keep adjusting, and the effort, the the right effort, changes throughout the day depending on what we're experiencing. Sometimes the right effort is to to consciously allow the body mind to relax and rest. Sometimes to lie down. 
But what we're doing, this cultivation of samadhi, is very important. It's very important in the path. It's the central pillar. The Eightfold Path, as I said this morning, is, is broken into three major sections. Foundation is virtue, living in a harmless way, an impeccable way, that leads to the fading away of remorse, leads to being able to trust ourselves, and it's a gift to the world. When we live in a harmless, trustworthy way, it's a gift to the world. The rest of the world can breathe more easily when we're trying to live impeccably. That lays a foundation for the middle part of the path, for, for, for the aspect of the path of, of samadhi, or stabilizing the mind, stabilizing the heart. Once when the Buddha was asked, what is samadhi? What is it? He said, citta kagata. Citta, heart, eka. Remember this, eka means one. Ekagata. It's singleness of heart, unification of heart, stability of heart, steadiness of heart. These are all different words for talking about getting a sense of what samadhi is about. When there's not samadhi, It's like a leaf blowing and the dog starts barking. Twig branches barking. Little thing happens and our heart flutters. It's not not unification. Slightest sound, we get recoil. Slightest irritation, we get jolted. Every passing thought, we get hijacked. That's, that's not a kagata, chitte kagata. That's the experience of diffraction, of scatteredness. We all can know that. Not to hate that experience, learn to recognize that experience when the heart is more turn this way, turn this way, turn this way, turn this way. Sometimes it's translated as one pointedness. I don't like that translation of a kagata or chitta kagata. It sounds more like an ice pick. Or like Tanisara is saying, that the word concentrate sometimes is associated with that prune-like shriveling up and lasering. Though there are times when that is a skillful manifestation of a concentrated mind. Still, that is, is very brittle. That's why concentric, the idea of, of center, a stable center that still is in touch with it's not cut off from what is around it, would be a better image. Gathered. Single. Single is a very good word. Instead of one-pointed, single-minded. Single. Unified. Unification is another very good word for this. What's the point of that, we'd say? Legitimate question. When the Buddha reflected on why this is an important part of the path, he said, number one, this is important for us, as we develop skill in samadhi and cultivating a unified heart, 
there is a pleasing abiding here and now. That's the first reason for or blessing in this. Learning to have a pleasing abiding here and now. That's blameless. It's not exploiting the world. It's not using up the world's resources. We're getting high on breathing, getting high on noticing the body, getting high on truly being here and now, and finding that that in the here and now, when we're not so beguiled by the longings, that's the desire, the imagination, that it's, it's, it's over there. And it might be something nice over there. You know, really, it's a bit cramped in here. Well, couldn't we just walk down to the escarpment today? Or I'm sure I could meditate better on top of that hill. That might be the case. But notice if one's longing, in the process of longing, if one's unconscious, one's not here. There's some energy in it because then one thinks, yes, I'll get there. But what it tends to do is rob us from being able to mine the treasures that are in the depths of this moment when we're fooled by the longings that are always telling us it's, it's over there somewhere. Or the opposite of that, the distress with regard to the world is, this is talking about desire and aversion. That's what's being talked about. The distress is, you know, I, I could do that if it, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for that. And then we can, we can get so agitated imagining that the, what we really need is just getting rid of this, getting rid of this, getting rid of this, we might end up with a sensory deprivation chamber, thinking that if we just provided a little tank for each person, perfect earplugs, perfect temperature water, little movement of the finger to tell Corbus he would go in and adjust the thermostat up a little bit or down a little bit. You go a little bit finger up, be up and down so he could he'd have to give up this part of the retreat but that's all right be good karma for Corbus he could have us all distressed with regard to the world thinking the sights and sounds that's all doing it but even then you still got your mind you end up getting an itch on your right thigh how do you tell Corbus that? Oh, God. Pleasing, abiding in the here and now, the idea that, no, 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 being here, being now, learning, not to be fooled by the longing, not to be fooled by the distress, the aversion, more more sinking here and now, learning to bear the here and now. We A new depth opens up one of the blessings, the first blessing, a very important blessing. Second blessing, knowledge and vision. When, when the mind's more gathered, it tends to see things as they are. We, the revelation of, oh, it's like that. Huh? When the mind's more still, it, it's able to see. And literally, the mind gets brighter. It's able to see. Whoa, so worries like that. 
so related to that is you become alert. You become mindful and alert. We're, we become present for our life. Is what the Buddha's third blessing was of this practice. Is one, one then knows, experiences the life that we have. Because we're awake, we're here. We're not so beguiled by the adrenaline rush of, I'm going to get there. I had a friend who was so excited about getting on to holiday. He worked like a donkey, harder than a donkey. This holiday that was just coming, this holiday that was coming, this holiday that was coming, just working, working to get to the holiday. And Tommy got on holiday, he was so habitually leaning forward, he didn't know how to stop. He didn't know how to enjoy the holiday. He was always moving, being fired by getting somewhere. In a sense, samadhi practice is learning how to take a holiday. Holy day, whole. It's learning how to, in a period of time, be unified just here. And the fourth and most important function of samadhi is not only is there a pleasing abiding here and now, knowledge and vision of the way things are, being mindful and alert, and then also being liberated liberated from the afflictions because when you see things as they are one then can will then recognize the thieves the misconceptions that are robbing us from ever appreciating and resting in our own nature so it said the most important function of samadhi is to destroy ignorance is to um, break up the these outflows that just keep us from ever being at home in our own suchness. So this important function of liberating us from suffering, birth and death. Foundation of the path virtue gives rise, a platform for samadhi, gatheredness of heart, rises, and when the heart is gathered, it tends to see things as they are, so we're liberated from our confusions. This is all conceptual, but it's, it's part of learning the Dhamma, getting a sense of how, remember, as I said on the opening night, first we learn, then we understand, then, and, and, and once we understand, then we practice. We're getting a sense of how, how the Dhamma works. Virtue, or sila, samadhi, unification of the heart, and the flowering of the path is panya, wisdom, seeing things as they are. One of the great uh, meditation masters of uh, Thailand, Ajahn Lee, who was a contemporary of Ajahn Chah, and also had the great master that Ajahn Chah also had, uh, Ajahn Mun, the great Thai forest master who a whole generation of fantastic teachers came from Ajahn Mun. Ajahn Chah was one, Ajahn Lee was another. He said that actually virtue and wisdom are relatively easy. He described it like building a bridge across a river with three pillars. Two of the pillars are in the shallow waters of the river that don't move very fast. 
The central pillar, though, is right in the middle of the fast-flowing river. There's a bridge built on those three pillars. The bridge from the across this current of birth and death. He said, relatively, the pillars on the near side and the far side, the pillars of virtue and and wisdom are relatively easy. Like virtue, it's pretty tangible. I mean, it's pretty tangible. At first, we just try to learn not to harm in gross ways, not to take what doesn't belong to us, to try not to exploit our sensuality and sexuality, to try to speak or not speak, speak what is true, to try to refrain from seeking nibbana just through intoxication, false nibbana. Similarly, once there already is some composure of mind, the last pillar, wisdom, arises. When the mind is concentrated, the Buddha said, if you ask it to, the mind will see things the way they are. It just, it's, that's the way it is. When, you, when your mind is composed, if you ask it, if you turn the mind with a question, hey, what's happening there? It's revealed, ah, that's changing. I mean, I've been going around knocking my head against the wall, wanting that flimsy, bubbly, ephemeral, transient, changing little mood. I've only been wanting that for years to be me, to be my home, to be steadfast, some thought like, I'm good, I'm not good, I'm well, I'm not well. A concentrated mind will just see in a moment, oh, of course that's a transient condition. Its nature is uncertain. Wisdom arises naturally. Virtue is relatively easy. It's that middle pillar, the pillar we're working on, most difficult, according to Ajahn Lee. Because in the midst of these streams of our thoughts, the streams of our physical sensations, they go from exhausted to energy, to feeling stiff, streams of moods and thoughts and feelings. In the midst of those streams, we're talking about cultivating stability a stillness, a groundedness. That's hard. And it's work, but it's an important work, very important work. And it's not work that one does all just in one day. So for the rest of our lives, very important just to get the feeling of this is a higher training. It's the higher training of the heart to learn how to be here and now. And the ground, the ground of this training is mindfulness, which is first just moments, a moment of mindfulness. Where's the body? So the body's an anchor. It's an establishment of that mindfulness. It's the first foundation of mindfulness. So in a moment, we'll notice how where the body is. We might not even know where the body was because we're so thinking about how we're going to get through the day again after yesterday. Man, that was a long day. And just, just think, oh, body. Oh, wasn't even where my head was looking up there. Noticing the body. Oh. Then in noticing the body, we'll notice the heart was in a fretful state. The heart was fretting. Oh. It's a moment of mindfulness. Ah, there is... Worrying. Hmm. 
who's been tangled in worry. They're sitting. In the, heart, in the body, the energy was sort of lopsided like that. As I notice the body, I notice oh, the shoulders. Are, that's not comfortable. Pleasing, abiding here and now. The Buddha's giving us permission. It's okay, he's saying. It's okay to learn how to relax here and now. And so we take these different streams that I'm talking about, the bodily stream, the verbal, the mental verbal stream, and the feeling stream of our sensitive heart that is affected by all this. We take these streams and start to converge them. So the mental stream, I'm talking about the thinking stream. What do we do? That stream reminds us to be here with the thought. Remember, Tanisra said the support for this practice. The Buddha called them the five jhana factors. That sounds complicated, but the five supports that help lead to this unification of heart on its first profound level of peace. First factor, vitaka, or directing with a thought, directing us here or whatever our chosen object of, of stability is. So notice even the thought here, now, what does that do? So, so you're having the, what's called vajisankara, the stream of, karmic stream of, the, of thinking, pointing us here and now. Or like the question, what's happening? Same thing. What's happening brings us here. The Buddha combined vitaka with vichara. The two are like a thumb and an index finger. They work together. Vitaka is more yang. It directs us here. If you only have the yang energy, then it is a bit like an ice pick. It's like someone who meets us on the street and accosts us, how are you, how are you, how are you, how are you? But their, their gaze is so intense and they're so filled with their questioning that we feel pinned to the wall and we don't feel seen at all. They directed their attention, but there's not that interaction between the thumb and the index finger. There's not the receptive quality. Or it's like Tanisra's image, or I don't know, some master had that image. It's like holding the bird. Vitaka grabs. Vichara senses the delicacy, the vibrancy. It senses and feels out. Vichara feels out. Oh, if you squeeze too tight, it hurts. You crush, you could harm, even kill. Too loose, it flies away. The two go together bringing the mind to the moment and then feeling the moment. We have two words, the Buddha had two words to describe it, but they actually go together. So you say, here and now, but then we actually then receive, whoa, the tension, or oh, the exhaustion. And in receiving, then there's the possibility of adjusting. So vichara 
receives, fills out, and adjusts. Adjusts according to what? According to what feels balanced. When we feel the sense, the shoulders all tensed up, which are when it feels that, hey, that's not necessary. Relaxes. We find ourselves wandering, then it takes vitaka or directing the mind back. Not in hatred. Just notice the wandering. And remembering, as Tanisha said, to have aversion for the wandering, which is just the nature of the mind, actually makes it worse. It's like trying to pat down the ripples in a bathtub, hoping to get a peaceful bathtub. Each time you pat a little ripple down, it creates more, more, more. Each time one is averse to something, you, you send shock waves, more shock waves of agitation. So there's an overall approach of just allowing friendliness, patience, kindness. So you notice the mind's wandering? Okay, it's wandering. Reestablish. Just remembering. And it might be the time sometimes to go up the mountain or the time to go over there. But if one is always hijacked by the longings or by the aversion, then we never go deep. So we give ourselves permission to be able to just say, not now, I'll, work, I'll think about you later. If it is urgent, okay, we do it now. But if it's not, we learn to say, not now. That's, that's what it means by putting away longing and distress with regard to the world. We learn how to just touch it, notice it, okay, and train the heart just to return to, but I'm actually here. If it's really persistent, we might need to do something different. But we're training the heart not to just compulsively have to follow what, what moves it. Vitaka vichara. Help us. Ajahn Sajita also says it can be like biting is off the food. Got a French baguette, you bite off a chunk. That's vitaka, bringing the mind here. But the chewing it really savoring it, connecting with it, staying connected. That's the work of vichara. Two go together. And the next quality that helps lead to this unification we've been talking about is pity, translated as rapture. And you think, oh my God, how am I going to do that? I feel so tired, there's no rapture. mind is just heavy. The seed of what the Buddha called pitti, P-I-T-I, the seed of rapture is interest. Being interested. If you're then interested, you allow yourself to stay connected. It's being interested and tasting and savoring so that you create a container Unification of heart has to happen within a container of awareness. Then within that container, energy can build up, build up, build up, build up, and then we get lifted. And it can be more easily recognized as rapture. But the groundwork, the hard work that leads to that state is is 
coming to the moment, maybe feeling, and that's what we're going through a lot of us now, exhaustion and the mind rebelling and this and that, feeling that. And learning just to be interested. Hmm, feels like this. Whoa, body's heavy. Breathing into it, breathing out, holding, being interested, savoring that. Learning to, little by little, be able to be at ease. And this is the next factor, what's called sukha, S-U-K-H-A. Being at ease here, relaxing here. This really undermines the thinking that you have to run over here and run over there to get to find our home, to find our abiding. Bringing the mind here, feeling out the moment, being interested, savoring it, and relaxing. These are the first four supports. What leads to, in the fifth faculty is, factor, is unification. It leads to a sense of being gathered here, unified here, steady here. It starts in moments, and don't, don't look down at a moment. Even if we're lost for five minutes and the whole sitting was a washout, but as we're going out the door, we remember, ah, what's happening now? And we put our shoe on mindfully. We have moments of just with the touching of the shoe, moments of noticing I want to be hurried to get out to my path or into our room to our needed resting position. We're mindful and notice that restlessness. We let it subside and steady the mind just here and now being at ease with putting my shoe on. Those moments of mindfulness accumulate. They add up. Much more likely if you have a moment, moment of walking, moment of opening a door, moment of noticing that I'm worrying. Ajahn Chah described it as a drop coming out of a faucet or a tap, a drop drop, a moment of presence. But as our practice uh, gains momentum, then we'll notice drop, 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 flowing for a little bit. It flows. There's a sense of sustained being here. Sustained, noticing an in-breath. Remember, we can make it very simple. Sustain noticing an out-breath. If we're really lost, make it a conscious, quiet, long breath. Conscious, quiet, long out-breath. Moments of being here. If we're really all over the place, following the path of the breath, giving the, the mind a wide playground, just noticing the breath, touching the nostrils, moving down to the belly and going out. Encouraging, if we can, can I be present for one in-breath, one out-breath? Like training a, a puppy, if a puppy loses it and you don't kick the puppy, or you do, it's not going to be a good result. Being patient, kindly, encouraging, beginning again. Sometimes we might have to just work with that long breath the whole time. But then if we start to notice a sense, you'll notice a sense that it's too busy. You don't want to be that busy. 
it's natural. At some point, the heart notices, I don't, I don't want to be following. The mind will want to settle more. It will want to pick a place, be more steady. Ajahn Chah liked his mind, enjoyed steadying itself at the nostrils. He was still with the breath, just with, with that sensation. It's a cooler sensation when you breathe in. After the air has been warmed in the lungs, it's warmer. Noticing it's warmer when it comes out. Just establishing the present like a watch person. Being aware when it's in, aware when it's out. The word Buddha or any word is a vitaka vichara. It's, it's both mixed into one. The word engages the thinking mind to bring us here. Bhutto as we breathe in. Bhutto as we breathe out. It encourages to be here and because it means awake, it encourages us to be in touch with what's here. That's why it protects the mind. Or Bhutto. Or Bhutto. Bhutto. They have slightly different energy. When the mind really gets quiet, you might not even want a butto anymore. You realize you don't need to tell yourself to be awake. You're awake. Not don't need to tell yourself. Then the Buddha encouraged us to don't be afraid to then train ourselves to let the awareness open so that that blessing gets more grounded, more stable. The more the whole body's involved, it's more stable. If our Samadhi is so narrow, it can get more easily knocked off. So you might be aware of, say, for example, the nostril, but when the awareness gets bigger, that blessing energy starts to permeate and suffuse through the whole body. It's what's called training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body. But we might spend our, the whole time just working with a long breath or stabilizing the breath somewhere at the heart or the belly or we might really be working on gathering in the sense of presence to include the whole body there's no rules that's where this is our own exploration this is our own and and to let it be fun samadhi is what uh, some of the great uh, Masters say is is called bhikkhu football. Bhikkhu is the word for a monk. Bhikkhu football is is this. We're, we're, and you know you're we're giving our permission to to explore what brings well-being. If we're battling, then we need to remember, hey, I'm battling. There's no ease here. We need to just allow. Okay, so the mind's going all over the place. Relax with that. Be kind to that. And then in the midst of all that, one can be at peace with breathing in. Breathing in and out with all that. Being interested in it. Or let's say one's not interested, not interested, I'm not interested. Well then, noticing that disinterest, how does it affect the body? Boredom. Can we be interested in the disinterest? Hmm, what is that? Breathing into it, breathing out with it. 
And in time, knowing the long breath, the short breath, sensitive to the whole body, in time just relaxing, tranquilizing the body. A good mantra for that, Bhutto is very good, but a good mantra for that is let go. Breathing in, breathing out, and then very quietly you can explore, just whispering in the heart, let go. That just splashes into consciousness and then it sends a little tremor of ease that goes through the whole body, smoothing the nervous system. In, breathing out, let go. Reminding us, that little words, reminding us to be at ease. Reminding us to enjoy the simplicity of just this. So this is hard work, but important work. So I encourage us to uh, take heart and uh, take advantage of our good fortune. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.